Marty Bent, Great American Mining. Thank you for joining the program here today. I wanted to talk a little bit about some Bitcoin and natural gas and just the evolution of the new digital currency, if you wouldn't mind. So uh, anytime we talked about cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, smart contracts, that sort of thing, I'd like to just kind of get a uh, reset, if you will. And Marty, could you give us just a quick overview of Bitcoin and that technology, how that works for the listeners out there? Yeah, so Bitcoin is a distributed peer-to-peer cash system, um, and it operates on a decentralized basis. So individual users run nodes, uh, individual miners run miners, and uh, the cooperation of the nodes, the miners, the developers, and everybody who's a stakeholder in the system sort of helps the system subsist. So uh, the way Bitcoin works technically is blocks are produced uh, on average, every 10 minutes, that's the target for block production. And the way that happens is miners look to solve what's called a cryptographic hash function. Uh, so they are racing to find a hash below the current difficulty target within the network. And the miner that finds that hash is allowed to construct a block of transactions that gets added to the blockchain. And once the block's constructed, it sends a message to the rest of the network like, hey, I found this hash. I put these transactions in a block if they're within the rules the nodes sort of check the rules of the message sent by the miner and if it's up to snuff they add the block to the blockchain the miner gets uh the block reward which is the combination of the subsidy at any given point in time and the fees within the block and miners go race to build another block and the importance of a network working in this way is that is not controlled by any centralized authority there's no way to um, sort of dictate what happens in the network without the consensus of all the nodes in the network so it is very hard to co-opt it is very hard to confiscate it is very hard to uh, attack and it it produces a sovereign digital money that that can't be controlled by governments or central banks so i want to ask you about that point right there uh in just a moment though which is the transparency behind Bitcoin and money, how that seems to be probably one of the biggest obstacles right now. At least in my opinion, it seems like just the whole, I guess, the transition of control and and, and, and authority almost seems to be bigger than the education block. And I'll ask you that in just a second. But I've never heard the term hash before, H-A-S-H, like hash browns hash um in bitcoin i just got back from colorado they got a whole different definition for the word hash uh what's (laughs) what's what's your definition for hash in bitcoin i've never heard that before uh so hash is a very um it's a it's a cryptographic term so when you're solving a hash function bitcoin is a specific function that that makes it work it's called the hash cash sha 256 hash function okay and basically what it is is just a huge math problem and uh it has inputs and the output is a hash which is a long string of numbers and letters um or just numbers i think i believe for bitcoin specifically i'm not uh exactly sure on my feet right okay now. It, it gets a little technical even for you got it okay it's it's yeah, it's, exactly. it's a collection i got it it's like a group a collection or whatever a consortium or, or whatever the word was you used it's, it's it's a long string of numbers. Thank so you. Very long numbers with a lot of zeros in front. And so in Bitcoin, the hash 
there's a difficulty target at any given point in time. And that's what miners are trying to find a hash below the target. Um, and so they, they run this SHA-256 hash function. They're running it millions and millions and millions of times every second. And uh, just to produce these random numbers, so it's basically random number generation. Okay. So I wanted to ask you about the education uh, and the, I guess, the transparency obstacles. I, I understand they both are, so it's not a matter of which one is more, you know, of an obstacle than the other. But uh, in my opinion, I think that the transparency and the uh, transition of authority and power is, is an obstacle for Bitcoin. And I also think, obviously, the education because it's technology. Um, talk to me a little bit about those two obstacles and how that is being combated, if you wouldn't mind. So in this regard, transparency may not be the best word to use. Uh, the best way to think about Bitcoin is as a digital bearer asset, similar to gold in the physical world. Okay. Uh, so like gold's a bearer asset. You can hold it. And final settlement is when, uh, if, you're, if you're doing it with the physical gold, is when you hand it over to the person you're transacting with. Similarly, with Bitcoin, it is a push system, um, which is not like our current financial system of credit cards and debit cards and ACH where uh, it's a pull system. You can put credit card information uh, on the internet and companies that you interact with can just pull money from your bank account, from your credit card account um, without your permit. Well, they get your permission when you put it up there, but they can just do it automatically. Bitcoin, since it's a digital bearer asset, which means that you actually hold the keys that allow you to move the Bitcoin around the network, uh, that's not the case. So it comes with different responsibilities and, and different uh, sort of user experiences. So when you're when you're sending Bitcoin, you have to sign a private key that says, hey, I own this this Bitcoin on this part of the ledger. I'm looking to move it here. And it's you, you push it out to the network it can't be pulled from you. Um, so this is actually pretty revolutionary where you have countries like China, Venezuela, uh, Iran, where, where people have had uh, money confiscated from them and just, they wake up one day and their bank account, the value of their bank account has just been cut automatically. Or with Bitcoin, that, that doesn't happen if you secure properly and hold your own keys. Nobody's going to be able to, to pull that away from you. You have to push it out to the network. So one of the reasons why we wanted to bring you on today is not only to talk about Bitcoin, just to do a little brief education part of it, but it is something that is transitioning into oil and gas. Uh, I've been following it now for, I don't know, at least five years, doing, I don't know, maybe quarterly or a few times a year type of interviews. But after what's happened over the past, say, six months to, I would say, eight months, because really this did start last year before the American COVID-19 shutdown. This was already in the works last year. I see this speeding up very quickly. And I, when I saw the headline that China was looking at doing some integration of uh, this sort of technology into the oil and gas sector, I thought, okay, well, we better start doing a lot more than quarterly. Because, I, I mean, I, I'm not talking daily. You do the daily uh, with your... Uh, blogs and, and your your uh, interviews and posts and that sort of thing. And that's why we appreciate you coming on here today. But talk to me about the integration of this into the oil and gas world, and then we'll get into the natural gas side. Yeah, so Bitcoin miners are in a race globally to find the lowest cost energy. It's a big part of their overall cost. And so if they want to mine profitably, they have to secure energy at the lowest cost possible. And to date, uh, 
we found CoinShares is a company in the UK that done some research on this. Around 73% of energy that has been used has been to mine Bitcoin has been renewable energy, and that's strands of renewables specifically. So you have um, hydroelectric uh, dams that are, are not being used or utilized, wind, solar uh, is being underutilized, geothermal, all in sort of uh, very desolate places on the planet. They, they sit there and nobody utilizes their energy, so Bitcoin miners show up, and that's very low-cost energy, which helps them become more profitable. And so in the renewable sector, it's it's driven a lot of innovation, actually, because you have Bitcoin miners showing up where nobody wants to consume this energy and actually consuming it and playing around with ways to harness it and, and innovate around there. And then on top of that, in the oil and gas sector, we're finding that um, Bitcoin mining can help uh, consume stranded gas and waste gas specifically. Um, so it's helping... Uh, fix some problems in the oil and gas industry in regards to emissions and wasted gas specifically so, because again miners are on that that race to find the lowest cost energy and it just so happens that wasted gas that would otherwise be flared vented uh, is is if you're if you're just going to flare vent it you might as well plug some miners in and get some value out of that Let's talk about uh, one of the most important things going on right now in the world of oil and gas, which is finding capital, which is accessing capital. Last year, there were a lot of oil and gas companies that got hit. They went to banks. The banks said, we can't secure that because it's oil and gas now. There was this movement last year due to the climate change uh, movement to not have banks secure oil and gas holdings and of course, it creeped into the Arctic and some other areas. My understanding is Bitcoin can actually be a solution to these problems, some of the political things that are going on in the banking industries. Is that true? I mean, Bitcoin's permissionless uh, nature certainly allows that. If, if somebody were willing to take the risk to um, fund their operations via Bitcoin, there's nobody to stop you from accepting Bitcoin. Uh, as as a currency, there's no ACH or SWIFT system that will stop that transaction if you're willing to take that risk to use Bitcoin to build out your operations. And then on top of that, I think Bitcoin, um, if, if we're coming from it from a uh, appease the regulators um, angle, it, if we're able to prove out that and build out Bitcoin mines on uh, oil and gas production sites that, that help us waste less energy and flare less energy and pollute the environment less. Uh, can certainly hurt the, excuse me, help the, um, the argument with regulators. Well, that's how I kind of looked at it. When I started seeing that, you know, last year, the movement of the banks were to not back and finance some of these oil and gas operations. And I saw some of the movement of the, uh, Cryptocurrency, Bitcoin, smart contracts, if you will, hashing now. I guess hash is the new word that I learned today. When I start seeing those things pop up in the headlines and then I you know, see China and the energy industry and everything, I thought, you know, this might actually be a workaround to some of these geopolitical politics in the world of banking. Because Bitcoin, like you said, it's not discriminatory by nature. It's just ones and zeros, I guess. It's ones... Uh, they're not discriminatory against each other. I guess they work with each other. Well, I guess how deep we want to get into the matrix is a different story. But uh, <laughs> because the ones and the zeros didn't get along in there. Um, well, 
Go ahead. I mean, just to elaborate a little bit for people on how this actually bypasses some of that uh, things in the energy industry. I know you just did, but um, I, I guess I'm just looking at it as this seems to be the next step. Well, yeah. So outside of the energy industry, um, we saw an exa- a great example of it this week. Obviously, Iran and Venezuela are two countries that have been sanctioned by the United States government, and, and it's very hard for them to move money through the digital financial system to the traditional financial system between each other. So um, Venezuela owed Iran some money because they helped them fix their refineries uh, in Caracas and around Caracas, I believe. Uh, and the only way that they could pay them was to get nine uh, jets, fill them with gold, and literally fly gold to Iran to pay them for, for fixing their refineries. So uh, that's an insane amount of cost, an insane, insane amount of um, uh, energy just to actually move the gold and make this transaction where if you were to do this with Bitcoin, which some people um, suspect that countries like Venezuela and Iran have done before in Russia, um, you, you don't have to get nine uh, huge jets, fill them with gold and take all that time and money to actually move it. You can construct a transaction and send it to the peer through the peer to peer network. And that won't be stopped by anybody. And so and you can do that for a lot cheaper than, than uh, moving all that gold. My goodness, those must've been heavy planes. Gold is heavy. I mean, it's, it's a, a lot heavier than you think, you know, a brick of gold. Holy smokes. Uh, and that's, and when you compare Bitcoin to gold, that's one of, gold's biggest drawbacks when you're comparing it to bitcoin is its physical nature it's a lot easier to confiscate gold and we've seen that throughout history we had uh, executive order 6102 here in the united states in may of 1932 i believe where um the government basically forced everybody to either hand in their gold or forcibly took it out of their hands uh, and then then increase the price right after they did that uh, and you if you weren't burying it in your backyard or didn't have in a secret vault that was well hidden, you were screwed. Or Bitcoin, you can keep your digital gold, uh, 12, it could be 12 words in your head. If you can memorize it, you can, you can have these words in your head and that's how you access your Bitcoin and they can't confiscate that unless they torture you. How about, uh, the recent rounds of stimuluses and that sort of thing? Um, I would I would have guessed that pumping this much money into the economy would uh, really do quite positive uh, things. At least the momentum would be positive for Bitcoin, at least in my head from a layman's point of view. I don't know. I'm asking you because you're the expert. But does the you know, the recent, you know, 40 trillion dollars they pumped into the economy or whatever they did in the last month. Is that how does that affect Bitcoin? Yeah, I mean, it that's i mean that's the going thesis for bitcoin is that it, it very much helps drive attention and adoption of bitcoin because you have two competing monetary systems now in the world which which hadn't really existed because gold had been completely neutered by governments uh, so you have these two experiments playing out in the wild the one run by central bankers and governments around the world which is print 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 we can print our way out of this and as they're doing that they're they're inflating the monetary base and debasing uh, individuals purchasing power the world over bitcoin is the complete opposite of that uh, where it is a 21 million uh, unit supply cap that cannot be debased and you're it's going to be extremely hard if not impossible to convince the members of the network to increase that supply cap so as central banks are debasing 
and printing and printing and deteriorating purchasing power of their currencies. Uh, Bitcoin is an, an alternative where you can store your value and your time uh, in this digital currency that is not going to do that. If you buy uh, one Bitcoin, you, you know that you're going to have one out of 21 million Bitcoin into perpetuity. Marty Bent with us, Great American Mining. My understanding is you've got some daily activities and uh, other media that you do. Uh, go ahead and give yourself a plug how people can find your information on the web. It's not hard to find on the web. You're one of the premier Bitcoin people out there. So you're, I mean, I've, I've pulled up your Marty's Bent and I've seen it on so many different, uh, different news sites that uh, I imagine you're all over the world. So uh, talk, talk to how people can, uh, I guess, kind of find, I mean, I, it wasn't hard for me to find you. So, uh, but I'm sure you got a centralized area. Yeah, I hang out a lot on Twitter, at Marty Bent. Um, that, uh, and then I have a website that, where all my content is. It's tftc.io. And I, I run a podcast called Tales from the Crypt, a Bitcoin podcast, where I interview people in the space and throughout macroeconomic, uh, throughout the macroeconomic space uh, to sort of help educate people about Bitcoin and why it's important in the digital age. Because, Jason, really, seriously, we're at a very pivotal part in human history where we can we can have the chinese the communist party surveillance state exported to the rest of the world where your every transaction your every movement is tracked by central authority and they can use that against you stop you from conducting economic activity from a centralized location or we can go down the path of building out distributed systems like bitcoin where you can't be censored uh, it comes with a lot a little bit more responsibility and a little bit more work but I think as we move into the digital age, we either get uh, digital serfdom or digital freedom, and Bitcoin provides that digital freedom. 